Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a 12 Days of the Comic Source episode. As we count down to Christmas and a special treat, we have a writer, creator, who uh, just recently had a series finish up at Image Comics. The series is called Made in Korea, and the creator is Jeremy Holt. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the series. I had absolutely no idea what to expect. Uh, the cover kind of stood out to me and, you know, made in Korea, sort of a very generic term. And uh, so, yeah, I checked it out and I was I was immediately drawn into the story and it you really covered a lot in uh, in only six issues. So for those of our listeners who might not be familiar, although we did cover every issue spoiler free in our new Comic Wednesday episodes as they came out. Uh, but for those listeners who might not be familiar, uh, how would you summarize the series? Uh, I would summarize the series as a artificial intelligence story focusing on the complexities of identity and adoption. Um, this is set in a world where children are no longer being born. So there grows this desire for people to raise children. So what emerges is a tech race and uh, companies are trying to develop the most realistic synthetic children. And a company in Korea, uh, this company Wukjin Industries does it first and they do it the best. And um, a bioengineer at this company essentially unlocks the secrets of the human consciousness, uh, realizes he has developed this code on company time, and decides to sew it away in a, a, a discounted proxy because these um, synthetic children known as proxies are very expensive. And uh, this proxy gets adopted to America. And then the whole story unfolds from there. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I really feel like kind of at its core it's a story about connection and how we all want to feel connected and certainly the the proxy jesse in the story that's to me sort of the driving force that that the secrets of consciousness as you as you put it have really been unlocked because it's jesse's desire for connection that sort of drives the whole narrative but you you did focus on so many other kind of social or, or touch on so many kind of other social ills from you know, fitting in in high school to, you know, gun violence to um, issues of gender identity and, you know, non-binary and that sort of thing. Was it always your desire to sort of touch on all these different aspects and, and ideas that are relevant in, in today's society? Um, I'd say that the um, Jesse's journey of, of self-discovery and identity was definitely the sort of the starting block. Um, the active shooter component was a much larger part of the story in an earlier version of it. In fact, the story sort of ends, uh, the original version of the story ended with, you know, this school shooting being thwarted by, by Jesse. Um, and then I realized that just wasn't enough of a story and that it wasn't a full journey for the character. And when I decided to expand it and explore this whole homecoming narrative um, as a Korean adoptee. It's something I think about a lot. And I realized that it was a great opportunity to explore my feelings about that. And it just happened to coincide around the time when I was developing the story that I came out as non-binary. And um, I felt it was just such a wonderful opportunity to explore my feelings about that and sort of show some complexity to an otherwise, um, I guess, a, a, a character that people might assume they know because we all love artificial intelligence stories and we think we know what they're about. And I think a lot of them tend to kind of go the route of like, 
I don't know, machines versus humanity kind of thing. And, and I wanted to shy away from that. And to me, I think every great AI story at its core is an adoption experience. And I just haven't seen anyone do that directly. And I thought this was a great opportunity to try to do that. Yeah. And again, getting back to this idea of, of connection, I, I can only imagine, uh, you know, being a parent myself, a world where you, you know, there, there's that whole idea or saying that the way we live on our, our own, own immortality as individuals is our children, you know, the legacy and, and, you know, what we pass on to them in terms of, you know, emotion, as well as, uh, you know, kind of in, intellectual knowledge. You've created a world where, like you said, kids aren't being born anymore or, or at a very, very, you know, small rate. So it's not just really a story about self-discovery for Jesse in terms of growth and finding connection for this artificial intelligence, which is really, when you think about it, a new form of life, but it's also Jesse's parents who, you know, are, are searching for something they feel is lacking in their life in terms of, uh, of connection. So being that you're uh, adopted, was that something that was kind of personal for you and, and bringing in feelings and stories of your own adoptive parents? Oh, 100%. Um, I think the adoption experience is, is very complex. It's not really something that's discussed a lot in media. Uh, I think that I, in the, I'd say in the past five years, I've seen network television, I've seen independent films explore this a bit more, um, but it is very nuanced thing and it exists on a spectrum. And I think there's a lot of different types of adoption stories to tell. I certainly won't be the first, I won't be the last. Um, but yeah, I, I think I wanted to specifically set the story in two different locations to give the reader a sense of the di dichotomy an adoptee kind of lives with um, outside of their own consent. Like they're, you know, that, I mean, that's the misconception is that this, these false narratives of people thinking, oh, you should be grateful that you were adopted. Well, you know, the reality is I didn't choose to be adopted, just like most of us are, you know, we don't choose our families. Right. Um, but it just makes it more complicated when you're raised within a culture that's outside of the one that you were born into. Um, and yeah, I just think that um, to kind of address those really kind of heavy topics through the lens of science fiction sort of makes it a little bit more palatable and interesting to read. Um, and so that was at least my goal. Yeah, I think it worked really well. And especially when you consider the ending, which we won't give away, we won't spoil it for, for you guys, but uh, the ending is sort of poignant and, and uh, yeah, there, there's some uh, emotion that, that deals with Jesse's uh, adoption at the end, which I appreciated because it kind of brought the story full circle. So I think that that, that, that worked really well. And then getting, getting back to the, uh, this idea of, uh, of connection that, that runs throughout. Um, and like you said, in terms of framing it within science fiction, but yet it's so relatable, right? Because here's Jesse, and as we said, a, a new form of life, really, this artificial uh, intelligence that is stuck in this proxy body that, you know, appears or, or presents, you know, like just like so, some of us with, you know, gender fluid identities may present as one way. She presents as a, you know, much younger child, and yet she's in high school. And that might not be the experience that we've all had, but yet I think we can all relate to not fitting in in high school. So I'm sure, again, very personal for you drawing from your own experiences, right? Yeah, I think that um, she sort of is this perfect vehicle to explore multiple things simultaneously. Like, you know, the idea of not fitting in is a universal feeling. I think we all feel at some point in our life. Um, 
the feeling as an adoptee is very similar to, to her sort of beginnings because she only knows what she knows. And to, her, to herself, she's a person just like everybody she sees around her, but the world views her as something very specific, which is synthetic and fake or artificial. And that's sort of, in a way, what it feels like to be adopted where, you know, I was raised by white people. So for a long time, I viewed myself as white, even though the world does not see me that way. And it wasn't until I started experiencing racism, something I've experienced throughout my life, that it shifted my perspective on my own perception of myself. And, I, and it's such a, a complex thing. And I, I think that for a character like Jesse, she, she gets to explore all of these things that we all feel, but, you know, it's all coming to her at once. And I just think that it's a perfect setup where the reader and the, well, I guess the reader is in on it, but all the characters around Jesse see her as a very specific thing that she is not, which is artificial. She's as, as real as it comes. And in fact, she shows more, in a way, more humanity than the people around her, which is something that I was um, very conscious of. And I, I wanted to, and it's nice to see that people were picking up on that. Yeah, well, the other thing that that's interesting, and I do want to get back to the whole thing of racism too, because I know you recently had something happen that I specifically want to address because it's just the epitome of, of irony and, and you kind of touched on it there. But before we get to that, uh, in terms of, when we're talking about connection, we're talking about Jesse and, and her awareness. And, and like you said, in a way more, exhibiting more humanity than the rest of us who may take it for granted. There's such a difference. Uh, and I think this happens a lot and it's where the disconnect happens between people of sort of different ideologies. Jesse's, she goes to school. She's very smart. She can answer every question. She has, you know, much more knowledge. At the end of the day, she's a supercomputer, right? So, yeah. you know, the, accessing all this information that is beyond human capability. Just because you have knowledge of something, that doesn't, again, mean you, under, you understand it. You know, there's that difference between knowledge and wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that she's kind of struggling with. And we see it in her relationships with the people around her just because she's artificial and they're not doesn't mean that they have any more wisdom with their life experiences than she does. And I find that to be fascinating and, again, very relatable. Yeah, she also has to gain that wisdom. I think we all gain wisdom by going through, you know, trials and tribulations of life. Like we might have goals and ideas of where we want to go, but life obviously has other plans. And it's about how do you. How do you pick yourself up? How do you pivot? How do you evolve uh, when you're experiencing strife and, and hard times and good times? Like it's all a balance. And I think that um, just because, like you say, that she has this hyper intelligence uh, doesn't mean that she knows everything about life. She might know like the cold hard facts about certain things, but um, it's those experiences where she has to make decisions that she can't find in a textbook uh, that really is the part of the human experience. Yeah. And again, that's the, the relatable part. Now, now what I was talking about with Jeremy, so he recently uh, was scheduled to do a signing at a, a certain uh, <laughs> shop, right? And yeah. they just assumed, I, I imagine because of your name that, yeah. that you were, yeah. uh, you know, a, a Caucasian creator and not necessarily, you know, more of a diverse voice. So in a way it was almost reverse racism when they didn't realize that you know, the kind of the shoe was on the other foot and you were, and I, I just found that so ironic based on the fact that here we are talking about made in Korea, which has, you know, again, these ideas of, of connection, but also of inclusivity. 
Yeah, this is another thing that I experience on occasion where because of my name, um, I'm viewed in a very certain way. I know early on in my career when I didn't have any work to my name, I didn't have uh, really anything to show. Um, a lot of my interactions were through email. And it wasn't until I would go to conventions and meet editors in person at the booths that, you know, putting a face to the name was very important for me because otherwise I'm just another seemingly white person writing comics. And I've seen responses on Twitter to me in Korea where um, people don't click on my, my bio or even my Twitter page to see a photo of me. And I've seen tweets saying, oh, this is another example of, of white people co-opting Asian narratives. And it's like, oh my God, like all you had to do is just look me up for five seconds. Right. Um, but I get, I get the assumption because it, it's kind of how I was, how I've experienced a lot of things because I don't have an Asian sounding name. Um, and the thing with the shop was just unfortunate and a little confusing because from what I'd heard through a, a mutual friend who had done a signing there recently, the shop owner said that the, best-selling title that he carried other than Spawn was made in Korea. So I, I, I was like, oh, you, you must have read it. And then when I reached out, he seemed excited and then was very discouraging about doing an event there. And then explained this whole thing about, you know, they only really cater to, to stories about people of color and, and their readership is mostly people of color. And I was like, oh, this person totally thinks I'm white. And it, and it wasn't, I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to say, hey, like, it's just like, you know what, it's your loss. Like, yeah, you could have done a five second Google search. Um, but it was just weird because that that's the kind of shop I would love to promote and support, you know? Right. So it's it was just disappointing. Yeah, and it, and it is too bad. I mean, and don't get me wrong. It's not that somebody who, you know, gr- you know, grew up in Western culture and, and is white can't, can't have similar experiences, uh, you know, and have something to say. But I, I don't know, it just seems so much more authentic coming from you. And it, it just, and you know, we've never met personally and uh, you know, we've interacted on social media and whatnot, but all along while I was reading this, I, it just, it felt like you put so much of your life experiences and who you are in this story. Um, and so, you know, thanks, first of all, thanks for sharing that, but um, you had to be gratified to see the um, kind of the, the reception because it, this did, it seemed like readership did grow as the series was going on word of mouth. Um, well, thank you for saying that. I, I feel like a life hack for me, at least a creative life hack that I sort of figured out in 2017, which happened to coincide with when I, you know, came out to my family about my gender identity was that I actually looked back at all the stories I created, I was creating, and I was planning to create, you know, stories that had, you know, maybe interest from publishers, was that I was telling a lot of white narratives. And once I kind of threw all of that out the window, I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I was surprised with how personal I could get with some of my stories by telling a more authentic um, experience. And it really kind of emboldened me to, to lean into those hard truths about myself because I, for the longest time, felt like nobody wanted to hear about my problems and me weaving my, my own traumas and my own experiences into my stories wouldn't be interesting. And the moment I did that, honestly, I found more publishing success because of it. So it's lovely to hear that readers like yourself are, are it's resonating, like main is resonating with you on the levels that I intended for people to really connect with. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. And again, I mean, the, it's not, 
I mean, I appreciate, you know, the things that you've gone through and, and I, I find, you know, everybody's got a story, everybody's got stuff that they've been through and that's what makes us different and, and interesting. And it's cool to meet people and hear about their adventures. We'll call them, you know, their, their traumas and things that they've survived. You know, I, I'm clearly not Asian, you know, I'm, I'm half Hispanic, even though I don't look it, but I, my life experience has been completely different than yours, but there's still relatability because when we talk about connection, we talk about belonging, we talk about family and love and, and those kind of things, we're all much more alike than we are different at the end of the day. And so we can all uh, relate to these sorts of things. And uh, it's just important to have works like this that are, and I think you would agree, they need to start conversations, even if they're conversations that at the beginning might be uncomfortable, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think representation is, is really important to me. I think it's really important to the communities of of people that create stories that reflect, you know, the um, communities that don't really have a, a, a voice or uh, visibility. Um, and I really want, hopefully, to just have people think about um, gun violence, and especially in this country where it's so prevalent. And the only response seems to be thoughts and prayers, which is really, at this point, it's so disheartening. Yeah. And I work at a school. I worked at a, I work at a school, a private school in Manhattan. I used to work at a public school in, in Vermont. And, you know, about four years ago, I was working at this public school and there was an active shooter incident that if the students, teachers, and law enforcement had not taken it as an immediate threat, it could have been really bad. And for me to experience active shooter training every year was, was really jarring um, to have to be in these meetings with teachers discussing, you know, the reality of what was, what would have transpired if no one had taken it seriously. Um, and seeing these teachers break down in tears and, you know, it's, it's just something that, you know, people who don't experience it or see it from afar think, oh, that's horrible and move on with their life. But I really want to show a story where I sort of wanted to live vicariously through a character that could do something that I have not ever seen happen in these tragic scenarios and, you know, it's, it's really about speaking to your kids. It's really taking them, treating them like adults, not children and, and minimizing their feelings and whatever they're going through. And, and if, you know, someone says that I feel like this, this child's a threat, you should take it seriously. Yeah. You can't be too safe. And yeah, it is it, like, that's a perfect word. It's so disheartening. I mean, certainly when I was in school, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you and certainly older than much older than my 10 year old daughter. I never would have dreamed. I mean, we had fire drills. We didn't have active shooter drills, you know, exactly. it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, well, one uh, thing that we haven't mentioned in this book is the art uh, by George Shaw, which I, I think is, is just tone perfect uh, and does a great job of, of showing the humanity and the uh, emotion. Uh, what's the relationship with George? Did you know him ahead of the, uh, ahead of time? Was he somebody you had in mind for the project? How did you? Um, I met George through a mutual friend, another artist, uh, that I'm actually working on another book with um, starting in January. But um, yeah, I, uh, our mutual friend put us in contact. I looked at George's portfolio. Um, they had a story on their website that was set in Japan, which was really important for me to see how they handle Asian aesthetic and narratives. And it was sort of perfect. Um, their style then, which, I mean, this is back in 2017, is actually remarkably different than it is now. And I've had the great pleasure of watching them evolve over the last three years, having worked on 
uh, a book at Boom and, and Humanoids, they really developed their style and their process on those books. So when they were ready to come on to Made in Korea full time, uh, they had this whole, you know, aesthetic sort of solidified. And it's just so perfect. Um, and we've talked a lot about the story, about the characters. Their input was vital to this story. In fact, they provided some really great notes regarding dialogue, re regarding some of the cliffhangers and some of the issues that just made it a better issue or story overall. Um, so absolutely without George, this book would have never happened in all the ways. That's great. To, that's great to hear. It's always the best when I hear uh, about collaborations that bring out the best in each other, right? Like you're, you're challenging each other and, and you're, uh, you're really, it's about getting the best story possible and not, you know, ego or, or any of that. Um, so I'm, do we know the date yet on the, uh, on the trade? Because I, I, I cannot stress enough, everybody, you know, you can, I'm sure still find the, the individual issues, but I think this is going to read great as a, as a trade. Do we, do we know the date? Uh, yes, the it's, uh, January 26th. January 20th. Okay. I'm going to remind you everybody when it comes out, uh, I'll put a link to this uh, interview again up that day and definitely go and, and check it out. And now's the time to tell your shop that you want the trade. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know when this episode airs, but actually the final order cutoff is today. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So uh, everybody, the final order cutoff was yesterday as you're hearing this, <laughs> if you're listening, but it was released, but still call your shop uh, and, and let them know. Cause you never know. They might be able to to grab you a, a copy, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth your time. A fantastic story. Um, and you mentioned that you have an, another series that you're working out coming out in January. Probably can't tell us too much about it, uh, Jeremy, but can you, can you tease it at all? Uh, production starts January. So I, there's not really a release date yet, but um, we're aiming for it to be a graphic novel. Um, if not, then it would um, come out as an eight issue series. I can't really say with whom, uh quite yet but um yeah that's that's all i can say gotcha. well, yeah, no, no, enough said i know how these how these things go and you know you don't want to say even you know even if you could say then oftentimes if it's that far out things change as we as we all know paper shortages and uh, and whatnot so uh but again it was great chatting with you uh, about the series again everybody it's it's very much worth your time it's such a relatable story about like we said humanity and connection and, and what it means to be human um, one last question as we're winding up here, uh, Jeremy, again, you must be so gratified with how it turned out. What do you, what do you hope for, um, as people get the trade and, and more people get to, uh, experience it? You know, if, if we can talk in a little bit in terms of, of legacy for made in Korea, what do you hope, you know, long-term for it? I think it's exciting that because it'll be in trade, it'll be available in all bookstores that want to carry it, um, not just comic book shops. And so that it's going to open, it's going to be open to such a wide readership. And I really do hope that um, the Asian American communities can hear about it. Um, the adopted communities can hear about it. And um, any real fan of sci-fi, you know, this is a new spin on it, I think. Uh, at least that's, that was my, mine and George's uh, goal. And uh, yeah, I just really, really am excited to see how far it can reach readers um, now that it's going to be widely available at the end of January. Yeah. And I think kind of on that note, school libraries and, and, you know, teachers, you, you know, teaching this in, in, a, in a class, you know, in an English class or a literature class, something like that. I think this is the, 
the perfect kind of book for that because it does cover, there's so much you can focus on. You can focus on the action shooter part. You can focus on the adoption. You can focus on the, the, the connection. You can fo focus on the sci-fi uh, aspect of the story. There's, there's so much there. Um, I think this is, again, this kind of story with uh, George's art, it shows the, the power of what sequential art, sequential storytelling can do. I don't think this is a story you could have told in prose or in a different sort of format. It's, it was perfectly suited for a comic. Would you agree? I would agree. Um, I never set out to write it as a prose novel. Um, I think that uh, without George's input, it really would not have been the story that it is today. So um, yeah, and I think that it's, again, it's, it's about representation and, and specifically with libraries and actually schools, graphic novels are such a great educational tool and just a reading tool for kids to read again. Right. Um, and I like that they're g gaining respect within libraries and, and educational communities um, because it's, it conveys a lot of information. A good graphic novel conveys a lot of information in a single panel. And I think, you know, any person of any age can, can gain from that. So um, if this makes it easier for kids to read a complex story, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree hundred percent. Uh, well, again, Jeremy, thanks for joining me. It was great to, to chat with you. And again, thank you for Made in Korea. It was a, a fantastic story. Uh, if anybody wants to follow along, uh, follow your work online, you know, know when you are making an announcement for your next series and whatnot, where's the best place to, uh, to follow you? Uh, at Jeremy Holt Books on Instagram and Twitter. And my website is jeremyholtbooks.com. Great. And I'll put links to the social media and the website in the show notes, everybody, as always. So if you're having trouble finding Jeremy, you can go there and, uh, and check it out. So uh, again, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. To all you listeners, we appreciate your support as always. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever it is you, we uh, that you celebrate. We hope it's a joyous time and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.